What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. And subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of? With your boy, the unstoppable Mike C-Rock. I'm in the house today with my friend, Joseph Fung. And let me read you his bio so you know who Joseph is. And then we're going to get into what he's made of. But before I do that, by the way, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for the support of the What Are You Made Of movement. Thank you for the purchase of my book. If you bought Rocket Fuel, if you haven't, what are you waiting for? If you want to become unstoppable, the formula to become unstoppable is in this book. And Grant Cardone wrote the forward for the book. If you know who Grant Cardone is, you need to go get the book. MikeCRock.com forward slash book. And I've gotten great feedback from it. People are starting on their journey to become unstoppable, and it's time for you to do so as well. So thank you for being here. Uh, let's go into Joe's bio. Joe is the CEO of Uvaro, a tech sales career accelerator, and of, oh man, what is that word? Kite? Kite. Let's go Kite. <laughs> it has two eyes in it, so it threw me off. A sales establishment platform purpose-built to provide sales teams with the information they need when they need it. A graduate of the University of Waterloo's computer engineering program, Joseph's a repeat founder and CEO with multiple successful exits and speaks frequently on the topics of sales leadership, diversity, and corporate social responsibility. Joe, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, Mike. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, man. Well, look, I had you on when I saw your background because I don't know if you know this or not. I'm a non-tech entrepreneur Mm. uh, that has gotten into tech. There you go. And I'm leaning hard into it. Um, I have a great group surrounding me and partnered with me. And I joined just an awesome guy and and team. And we're getting ready to shake the world with some things. So I had you on because I wanted to have that alignment and see where you're from and where you're at and going and see if there's something that we can't possibly do some, you know, work some magic together. Because that's my superpower is connecting people together to to create earth shaking projects. So I love that. Yeah. Like you were saying just before the show, you know, uh, thrust is a must. You got to make a difference. That's wicked. Yeah, man. Yeah. So look, before we get into the show, I always ask the question of the guests to start. What are you made of? Oh, man. I knew you were going to ask. I thought so much about it. There's all the cliches, you know, my parents, everything. But really, when I think about it, it's it's a love of giving back feedback and playing with my edges because you got to do that if you want to learn and grow. Yeah, I love that answer, man. That's that's a really good answer. So let's take us back now. Like, like, where did you start? Because we got your bio. We understand what you're into now, what you've done. But like, where did you start? Like, where'd you grow up? Take us back as far back to diapers if you want to. But where, <laughs> where are the, the flashpoints or things that really had impact on you still to this day? Yeah, I think the big impact, I mean, you can't avoid talking about your parents. And uh, So my, my father's an immigrant. He came from Hong Kong. He moved for school. Uh, met my mother here and the two of them, uh, it's, it's like a mixed race family. So you always get that interesting dichotomy. You don't really know where you fit in. And both of them, you know, really pushed me, you know, my, my mother, cause of her work ethic and my father, because of the, you know, cultural pushes, <laughs> those cliches, you come home with 99 and the parent says, where's the other 1%? Yeah, that was my dad. And that I think is what pushed me into engineering, you know, that, that do the best I could and get that technical degree. And 
loved engineering. I'd be a terrible engineer. You know, my, my team knows it. You, you don't let me build any bridges that people are on. I could prove that it works. But as soon as I launched my first company while I was still in college, that's when I knew that I was never going to do anything different. And so I've been kind of doing one after the other and each one getting better and better at it. And uh, now the most, most recent is making a difference in other people's lives. And yeah, this is where I'm going to be staying for a while because it's a blast. Yeah. So your first company, tell us about it. Like what, what got you thinking to start a company in the first place? And then what was that company? So I think the, the first that I say as a company was while I was in high school, you know, friends were flipping burgers, working retail, building character, all that kind of stuff. My parents said, well, you could do use your time better and said, hey, you know how to use computers. So why don't you design ads, business cards, brochures? And so I did that. And instead of earning like, you know, seven, eight bucks an hour, I was earning 50 bucks an hour. So that was, I think that's what got me the taste of it. Uh, but our first real business with actual employees and everything uh, happened during college. I got sick. I was in the hospital for about a month and started you know, spending time with some people online, doing some coding, doing some programming, realized one of the people I was working with was in the same city as I. Blew my mind. Freaked me out. Everybody was like, don't meet people on the internet. And we got together and built a company doing custom software. And that's how we really got started. Gotcha. So like, if somebody needed a, some kind of inefficiency solve for their business, you would build it for their business? Particularly, or you kind of like that. So yeah. at the time, open source programming was becoming kind of more na- more emergent, and so there were like open source ways to sell products online, run discussion forums. We built a bunch of open source tools, but most of our work was taking pretty low quality ramshackle open source tools and polishing them up for a project. So kind of getting at that last mile. And so we're using a lot of things like, I mean, WordPress before was called WordPress, OS Commerce, if anybody else you know, was technical and wanted to know what we were using. But yeah, it was like helping people build really smart websites before software as a service was a real thing. Gotcha. And what does open source mean? Because remember, so, I'm a non-tech tech yeah. entrepreneur. <laughs> so, so most software is like built by companies and they sell it. You know, you, you swipe your credit card, you send them a check, they give you some software. Open source programming is where a lot of volunteers all contribute in the open. So everybody can see the source code, everybody can access it, and anyone can use it for free. And the benefit is everybody works together to make something really large, really exciting. The downside is there's very little accountability. You know, if, if you don't want to fix that bug, you don't. And so open source programming, you know, in some situations, you get more secure, better quality software. In other areas, you get projects that don't get finished. And especially so- in the early days, it was pretty messy. So uh, forgive my ignorance on the topic. Uh, Not at all. Yeah. Open source, open source. What, what is the software that I would know or the listeners would know that aren't into tech that would be open source? Yeah. So, so to give you a good example, if you wanted to build a website today, you might sign up for something like Wix or Squarespace yeah. and you'd use yeah. the app, but you can't go and just take that software with you. you, know, you right. if, if you say you want to leave and you stop paying them, you lose it. Right. And, but that's okay. You're paying them to run it. Something that's open source would be something like WordPress. You know, a developer, a programmer could go and download a copy of WordPress and install it on your website. And if you choose to move your website around, you can take it with you. And so that's a good example of a, gotcha. a very successful open source project. Gotcha. Okay. So it's not like the whole project's open to everybody and everybody can go into do code to it and affect the overall Correct. structure yeah. of the system. Okay. That's what I was yeah. thinking it was, is everybody's going, I'm like, how's that happen? So, so I, yeah. got you. I got you. you. Know, so part usually, of it's closed. Yeah, it's, it usually has an, an approval mechanism. So the reality is, you know, Mike, if you wanted to, you could go and you could write some code for WordPress and you could send it into them and say, hey, here's what I've contributed. And the people who are running the project would look at it and say, hey, you know, Mike, we like it or we don't. And, and your code would, might get in there. 
So anyone gotcha. can, but yeah, there's gotcha. always approvals and gates and yeah. Well, they 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 are not going to put my code in there. I don't even know what that means. Like I, I I've probably seen some of it before, but it's it's just all Greek to me. And you know what? That's that's okay. I get people to take care of that part and. You know, I come that's up it. with the inefficiencies that we try to cure. So um, <laughs> we yeah. all got to contribute, right? <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you. So then what was the first company that you exited from? Yeah. So with, with that company, we ended up, we we're using a lot of external software to solve problems. But while we were doing that, we were building our own products. It's that classic dilemma. You've got a service-based company and you want to productize it. So we we're building a lot of our own apps. And the first company that we sold uh, was actually that company. We ended up splitting it into two pieces and selling the, the kind of services part to an agency and the product to one of us, our biggest resellers. And so we, that was the first one we ended up selling. And how did you know when the right time was to sell? So, Versus, you know, like, look, you get cash flow from if a company's cash flowing, right? And then you get an offer, but that's a lump sum and it's not flow, right? So, like, just yeah. so for the people who are listening, you know, the math, a lot of people don't think of the math, they might sell a company for, you know, certain millions of dollars, right? And I'm not preaching to you right now, the audience. <laughs> you sell a company for millions of dollars, but then you stop your flow of cash, right? Totally. And then yeah. you figure out what are you going to do with that money next? And you work the, the numbers and the amount of, you know, if you don't invest in something that's really going to start turning on the cash flow uh, faucet, you're going to get, what are you going to get on your money? Five to 10% maybe in that range. And that's not the money you were making in the business. So it's, there's a, there's a fine line somewhere. So how did you decide when it was the right time to sell the business? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I love how you broke down the math because you're right. That's a great rational way to look at it. For, for me, it was much more emotional at the time. So I, I mentioned co-founded that business with a co-founder. So to kind of give you the idea, uh, my co-founder's name was uh, Jeff Lewis, and we named the company Lewis Media because you know, we felt there should, be a there should be a family name on it so people know how to connect. And Fung Media just doesn't sound good. So, but we ended up like Jeff ended up leaving the business because he was struggling with, he went through some life changes. He was struggling with some mental health challenges. And I was really early in my career and I didn't fully recognize him and I wasn't able to fully support him. So, I mean, first we went through this change of kind of leadership and ownership and we were having some good success, but it also wasn't the breakaway business that we were hoping to. And, and as I got more confident in the direction, you know, what it would take us to get to the next levels. You know, we realized what we had created was never going to get that real kind of hockey stick growth. It, great lifestyle business could churn out profit. At the time, we had a team of about 12 people. We could see line of sight to 15, 25, 30. But for me, I wanted to push my boundaries. You know, I really wanted to do something more exciting. I had just gotten married, wanted to think about what was the next decade and said, hey, I'm going to learn more. I think I can accomplish more if I'm running a different business and doing something different. So that was really the motivation. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. That was, and that was that, that exit. It says you had multiple. So what you're talking about is the wrong vehicle for what totally. you wanted to accomplish. We talk about vehicles a lot. And then the trajectory, we don't talk about the hockey stick. We talk about a rocket ship uh, yeah. trajectory. That's what we're aiming for. Cause I talk about rocket fuel all the time. And you know, uh, there's always different reasons to exit, obviously. So after that happened, then did you find yourself in a situation of what do I do now? Or did you already have a plan? Or did you have a limbo, like a purgatory that you were in for a little while where you felt, I'm just running through some emotions yeah, that I've no. had in the past that I'm it's just a, sharing with you. So, you know, like- It's a great question. Like I, I'd spent all that time bootstrapping a company. I mean, like taking money, cash advances on a credit card to pay bills, you know, employees not being able to put their kids in, into sports because we didn't make enough money. Like it's stressful stuff. I'm sure you, you see this. And my comment to myself was, 
the next thing I did, I did not want to do a purely bootstrapped company because you know we made back you know family money, we made back the the money friends had put in, but it was it was close and. I took a break. I needed a mental break. So I, I actually worked with a think tank for about a year and a half. So the uh, Center for International Governance Innovation, big ideas. I mean, the research that moved you know, major economic decisions from being a G7 conversation to a G20 conversation, hosting the UN and, and, and the G20 when they you know, visited Toronto. That, that group, I got a chance to work with some really big minds. And that helped me realize, holy crap, there's a lot of really amazing, smart people changing the world. And it helped me realize academia is a delight, but not where I want to work. Uh, so I spent a year and a half kind of recharging my batteries and then jumped back into it and launched an HR tech company specifically designed to do that rocket ship. You know, it's like, how can we maximize growth? And wow, that was fun. And how long ago was that? So we launched that in 2011. Uh, sorry. 10 years ago. We started kicking the idea around the year before, so like 2010. And we launched it, scaled it, and sold it all within about three and a half, four years. And how long did it take you to get traction? Not as long as we, it was the right way to put it, faster than we expected, not as long as, not as quick as we hoped. Right, yeah. right, 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 yeah. right. That's awesome, man. Congratulations on that. And then for as far as that goes, and the, you know, I hope you, you can chime in with any topics you want to talk about, but these are things that are just running through my mind here. When you exited that one, what was the thought process between that, you know, that exit and, as far as that and hanging on to it? Yeah. So when we first founded the company, I talked about like playing with the edges, pushing boundaries. You know, my co-founders and I, we sat down and said, we want to think about how do we build a company that can be you know, venture backed so that we can grow it quickly. And let's choose a space where there's a bit of a path we can follow. And the space we found was HR software. And the interesting thing is that most HR software companies are bought you know, in that kind of 50 to $100 million range. If you look at all the past comparables. So if we looked at it, we're like, you know what, in this space, the likely outcome is not building a massive company, taking it public, you know, holding it on, holding on to it for life. It's the likely outcome is someone wants to buy it. And so we thought about, you know, how do we create a company that looks you know, really attractive to venture investors, has the right kind of structure in place, and let's never get ourselves so attached we're never willing to sell it. So, so we had those principles early on. And then we started building a wicked crazy company, the first kind of social HR tool. The, the analogy was... Imagine if your HR file was less like a secret government file and more like your Facebook profile. You choose what to share. You own it. It's got goals and you know, thumbs up and all that kind of stuff. And super, super fun. It was great. Uh, and yeah, we, we hit all those goals. What's the name of that one? Tribe HR. Tribe HR. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like finding your tribe at work. And it was, and that, it was, was that, that wasn't the original one. That was, or that was the original HR. Uh, that was the first uh, social HR platform. Okay. So yeah, yeah. gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And then the, the other question, how do you stay passionate about something that you're developing and going hard at it, but also not getting emotionally attached to it? It's the thing is like, what is it that really motivates you? And for me, it was you know, the team, the culture, the environment. Like We wanted to build an epic place to work. And that means it's not about the product. It's not just about the, the customers. It's not just about you know, the, the problem. It's about that whole package. And when we sold the company, we, we were facing that opportunity of, do we raise our next round? And we had a beautiful, a term sheet that was way better than we ever deserved for our next round of funding. And then the offer to, to buy the company. And the decision really came down to the people. What was going to be best for the culture, the people, the team we were trying to build? And when we distilled it back down to those basics, the decision became really clear. It was like really easy once we clarified that. 
wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. Gotcha. That all makes sense to me, man. The mission, the values, they all have to align. Totally. Um, I love that. And then the other thing, when you first started it and you took it to market and you were launching, what methods did you use and what was most effective in you know go to market? So for us, the thing that really made a difference is we doubled down, really doubled down on our early customer development. I mean, we were selling to, to kind of main street business owners. So literally we'd walk into a car dealership, a coffee shop, you know, someone who's running a print shirt, like doing t-shirts. And we'd ask them like, hey, you know, what's it like managing your people? These are the problems we think you have, do you? This is how we want to solve it. If I had this software right now, would you pay for it? How much? So we did a lot of that. That gave us a really deep understanding of the problems, you know, what we needed to build. And then as we took it to market, literally we put it up online uh, and started buying a few ads. Not a lot, but little bits here and there to see what we'd buy. Like spend like 20 bucks at a time, 40 bucks at a time. And it was hilarious because our first sign up, again, we're, we're based just outside of Toronto in Canada. Our first sign up was just outside of New York City. Our second was someone in Belgium. Then our third was somewhere in Germany. Uh, our fourth was out in Singapore. It wasn't until customer number five did we get somebody in Canada. Wow. So it was, okay. it was an entertaining process. And, and what, was the, uh, what was the price point for that product? Uh, you, you could get started for like 20 bucks a month. Gotcha. So super, super cheap to get started. It, we realized it's weird. Small businesses are kind of everywhere, but they're also nowhere. Like there's no one place you can go and get the small businesses. So right, right. yeah, we, we knew we had to do advertising online, kind of self-service, let them swipe their credit card, really low touch. And that, that influenced everything in the product. How do we make it easy for people to use it themselves? Yeah. And then from there, how did it get viral? How did it, how did it, you know, where, where was the uh, initial boost? Yeah. The, the really big thing was we baked into it the idea of, again, it's a social HR platform. So like, what are, what are the uncomfortable things that people will talk about that people want to do that they can't right now? And let's make sure we talk about them first. So like, number one, one of the things that we had in right at the beginning was a, a feature we called Kudos. It was recognition. It's really easy. It's like, I'm sure you have team members. They do a great job. And I mean, maybe you toss it into Slack. Maybe you, you toss it into like a team meeting and you do a performance review and it's gone away. Like it's just kind of disappeared into the ether. Like in the app, the homepage, one of the first things you do, big green thumbs up button, give kudos. And it's great. The person gets an email, their manager gets an email. And when you go and pull up a performance review, all their kudos get pulled up. And we made it really easy for employees when they got kudos to say, hey, like post it to Facebook. And it's funny because we say it now and recognition has become increasingly prevalent, but like our earliest customers, the managers would say, yes, I need a place to track vacation because vacation sucks. And this give kudos button is the stupidest thing. Can I disable it? But man, employees loved it. And they'd like take the icon and get them printed on mugs. We had companies where they were printing out the kudos and sticking them to their cubicles. We had, we had managers saying we made them better managers. And we had employees at our customers tweeting about having Tribe HR. Like who takes to Twitter to thank wow, their company man, for their awesome. HR software? I love yeah. it. Yeah, and Tribe so cool. HR would just be closed socially just in that company. It wasn't just like a social thing on the outside. Totally. Gotcha. There's a few things we'd let them move out. Like if you got kudos, you could like yeah. post that externally. If you accomplished yeah. a goal, you could post externally, but it was so social internal to the company. And, and then after you sold it, 
do you watch the companies that you sell to see if they're going in the direction that you had thought or are happy with, or do you not waste your time at all or attention with that? It's tough. It's really tough. It's like, you know, when you sell a house and you drive by it later and you're like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. They, they changed the garden. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely a little bit of that. I had a, I had a mentor who said it really, really well. When someone buys the company, they buy the right to make decisions. And I really tried to internalize that. So like when I was making those selling decisions, really trying to say, you know what, I'm not just selling something that I've made. I'm selling the right to have an opinion about it anymore. And that's helped me because every time I catch myself doing that, I'm like, you know what, that's okay. They're making the best decision they can with the information they have. And I don't have that information anymore. So right. I got to step away. Right. So Joe, what are you getting into now currently? And what is your vision here for the future? What are you trying to attack? Man, so I've run five software companies uh, and the, the toughest part was always building a sales team. and one of the things that was always most frustrating to me in the space was how so many other software CEOs and founders have this very narrow vision about who they let into the company. And, and I mean, the stats hold it. Like, there's issues of like racial inequity, gender inequity, age, demographics, all of this inside tech. And that, that stuff pissed me off so much. So yeah. with Yuvara, we're, we're trying to tackle that stuff head on. We, we built a career accelerator. We help people launch amazing careers in tech and help them break through their barriers by giving them the knowledge, the network, and the advice to launch amazing roles. And man, it's been crazy. Like, we're on a mission to help every professional have a fulfilling career from their first job to their last. And I get to see these amazing success stories every single day. And I feel like the luckiest guy in the world. That's awesome, man. It, that's transformative, man. It's not transactional. It's transformative. I commend you for that. And uh, so you place these employees after they go through your program? We do. We, we, so no one's required to take a role that we're lining them up for. You know, okay. They have full control. Like, a good way to say is they're in control in the driver's seat of their job search, but we have a ton of tools to make that easier. Like Most people on a job search, they're kind of spinning out their resume to a ton of different places and they don't even get any callbacks. We work through sales skills to help people be really targeted and we crawl all the tech job boards. So we've got about uh, 300, 400,000 jobs right now that are open in our database. And as someone goes through our program, we're helping them think about what stage company you know, do you really want to excel at? What background do you have? Oh, you were a, a bartender? Well, there's a ton of software companies who sell to the hospitality sector. That gives you a leg up. Oh, you really like knowing the full customer journey? Well, a small business product means you own the journey. An enterprise product means you own the small part. So we help people be really targeted. We guide their career search. We give them the knowledge and we do all the interview coaching and prep and everything necessary. So on average, for someone to get into tech, the, the company takes about two months to hire. We typically cut that down by about 80%. Wow. And then when they ramp, it usually takes a sales rep up to eight months to get from zero to hitting quota. And our grads are typically doing it in a third the time. Wow. That's so just wonderful, man. Crushing quota. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, what's your vision for the future here? Where are you going next? The really big thing is helping as many people as we can. Right now, we get about 2,000 people a month who, who apply to our program. And we can't take all of them in. We're capacity constrained. So, building up our team, building up our bench strength to do that. And we help a lot of people in the obvious sales role. So like a business development rep, an account executive, customer success manager, those would be the job titles. A lot of our clients land, but we have so many people who want to go even further, you know, they get into sales management, get into product management, like all those related roles. And tech is growing so fast, even just sales alone. I mean, the software industry is going to grow to 800 billion by 2030. A mind-boggling number, but to do that, they need a quarter million more sales professionals. And that's just sales. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I just love all this. Obviously, that's where I, the, the questions came to me so easily today. I don't have anything written down. 
Is there anything that you want to cover that we haven't covered, Joe? Because I want to give you the platform to uh, share as well, because I was kind of being self-serving there, asking my questions. (laughs) But it's my show, so I'm allowed to. But Joe, anything we missed? Nothing huge. I mean, the big thing that I love is you talk about people kind of what they're made of and accomplishing amazing things. And I'm lucky in that I, I've built software and I've sold a couple of companies and you know that's given me me a lot of success. I think the part that gets me so inspired is I see folks coming through the toughest challenges. Like our, our clients by and large are, a lot of them are single. A lot of them are earning $30,000 or less. They're working gig to gig and shift jobs. And that's tough. And I get to see them persevere and land these roles earning like 70K, 80K. And I learned so much from them about grit and determination. That's the part. So if anyone's listening and they find themselves in that situation, it's like own that grit and that confidence because you're building a a strength that can't be rivaled. You know, have you had any founders come out of your program? It's coming out of our program and then launching their own companies. Yeah, yeah. Usually it's the other way around. And yeah, we do have several. You know, people who say, "Hey, I'm, I'm founding a company." <laughs> like me, I'm, I'm an engineer and I'm building a company, and right. I didn't have any formal training. Yeah, we do have a lot of founders who come through to polish up that that customer and, and marketing skill set. Yeah, yeah, I love it, man, love it. So, final question, and I do this to every guest too. And I, I did not prep you. I should have prepped you, but it'll be easy for you. Oh, that makes it fun. Uh, the rocket fuel law that I created, which is basically reframed from many comeback stories. But I wrote this book about this, Convert Setbacks, Become Unstoppable. And short overview, growing up, broken home, been through a lot. Every adversity that I've had after doing some self-assessment, I found that I was taking everything that would slow me down or stop me. And I was storing it in my tank instead of my trunk where it would weigh me down. And I was able to convert it into fuel for my future to become unstoppable. Not just fuel, rocket fuel, because it's been pushing me really far. And now I'm adding a little to this now, and I'll, I'll tell you that there's some kind of line of demarcation where you eventually pass over and you stop using all of that negative toxic fuel because your engine is upgraded to an elite engine mm-hmm. and you need cleaner fuel. So you start using what your confidence and your courage and experience is going to provide you, your targets and your visions and your goals as your fuel, because now they're going to be pulling you forward. So I have to add to the book. I didn't put that part in the book, but what does the rocket fuel law mean to you? That whole taking things and using them as fuel rather than letting them hold you back? Man, I, I think about, as you talk about that, I think about all the really tough and challenging situations that I've had that have turned into lessons and growth opportunities. I think about, I think about the times when my wife and I went through really rough spots and I come out of it and I've learned how to be a better and more complete communicator and partner in our relationship. And it's, I think it's made me a better boss and a better business partner too. I think about the times when I made the wrong business decisions or I struggled and being able to really take the time to pick the lessons out of those and helps me move with more confidence. So even if I'm still making mistakes, I can move faster and do, take bolder steps. Yeah. Trying to see that, that silver lining and seeing that as rocket fuel is absolutely the right way to do it. I love it, Joe. I, pr- I appreciate that answer, man. That's, that's phenomenal. You exemplify what rocket fuel means, man. So Thanks. I want to thank you for coming on the show today. I look forward to developing a relationship with you. Definitely want to get you in touch with our people so that you can see what we're up to and see what, what kind of alignment that we have and what kind of things we can possibly work on together. Oh, absolutely, um, Mike. And uh, you know, just thank you. Thank you very much, man. You guys have been listening to the What Are You Made Of podcast with your boy, the unstoppable Mike Searock and the unstoppable Joseph Fung. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Keep coming back. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel, Mike Searock Sirocco. I got some great content coming your way on that. And if you have a tech idea and you're not a techie, 
come to me anyway. Bring that idea. Let's work on something. Let's co-found a company together. Until next time, be unstoppable. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Mike C. Rock Scirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. Thank you so much for your support and your listenership. It means the world to me.